0: I've done listener Q&As in the past, of course, before, but usually those have been like somebody would write in with a long coaching question and I was basically coaching them. And so what I'm going to do today is answer some questions that I solicited on Instagram. So listen, do not rush to Instagram and send me a DM with your questions This was like a 24-hour thing. I put it in my stories. I got a bunch of questions. If you have questions for a listener Q&A podcast, you should keep emailing them to my team as you have been, info at redesignyourmind.com. But I am going to answer some of the questions that I got from you guys during that 24 hours. So they're kind of all over the place. Like some of them are kind of coaching questions. Some of them are about my business and my journey. There were some questions about my dating and sex life that I'm not going to (laughs) answer. So we're just going to answer some of these and I think it'll be instructive for you guys. It's going to be fun. Okay, first question was, what made you decide to change careers from a lawyer to a life coach? So that's actually a great question and partly because I think I teach a lot about how to love where you are before you leave it and then people see that I left my career and so they think, Well, you, you know, you changed your career. Obviously, you thought you'd be happier as a life coach. And that's not exactly right because what happens when you take responsibility for your own life and your own emotions is that you understand that it's not the circumstances of your job that make you happy or unhappy. So I did a lot of work on my relationship to my job as an academic and to my academic career. And I could totally have been happy as a law professor. I mean, actually, a lot of what I do is similar. You know, The content is different, but I used to do feminist theory in law. And so in law school, you're teaching people how to think in a new way. So a lot of it actually is similar. Like as a law professor, I think I would have been teaching people how to think in a new way using feminist theory to provide that kind of insight going against probably the grain the way I do now of how most people teach and think about law helping people feel empowered, right? I mean, I would have been doing a lot of the same things. It's just a very different kind of context and and life. And I didn't love creating scholarship. And here's the other thing. It's like that's kind of the same. Like I prefer live coaching to writing coaching content just like I preferred – Teaching the law to like writing law review articles. You know, you are you and your brain is your brain wherever you go. So, while I did do a lot of work on my relationship to my academic career and how I could be happy in it, and that's what enabled me to decide to leave and become a coach because I knew I could be happy and okay either way, right? But it wasn't like, oh, I hate the law and I hate reading and writing and thinking about the law, and I'm going to love reading and writing and thinking about coaching you know, no. A lot of what I do is similar. The things I like are similar. The things that are my less favorite parts are actually similar. And, you know, I could coach myself on those things, but there's a lot of things in life to coach yourself on. And right now I don't feel that I need to coach myself on, you know, preferring live coaching to writing coaching content. Like I do both. I do both well. They work fine in my business. It's fine with me to slightly prefer one to the other. But I'm just giving you that example because it's me and what I like to do that's the same, right? All that didn't change just because I changed the circumstances, the context in which I was doing it. But this is what I will say about it. I do think as an academic, I was working on ideas that nobody else would do because I think we all have our own unique flavor of things, right? And so nobody else is going to write the exact law review article I would write. Nobody was going to teach law the exact way I taught it. And like there's some loss there, like whatever I was going to come up with in the law, I never will now in that context. But I felt that number one, I felt like I had figured out how to succeed in that career. And I'm someone who always wants to be learning something new and doing something different and figuring out how to master a new thing. And so having learned how to master the kind of life where you work within institutions and you get exclusive prestigious jobs and you do very well in school. And like I had learned how to do that. And it kind of felt like the rest of my life was going to be more of the same if I stayed there. And quitting to become a life coach and entrepreneur was like going to be very, very different. And I just wanted to have a different experience. I wanted to experience what that was like. And I also felt like when it came to thought work – well, there are for sure, again, like nobody will write the exact law review articles I would have written. There were a lot of people kind of working in the areas I was working and coming up with good arguments and I didn't really feel like the world was going to be, you know, was like the world was going to lose out if it didn't have my particular like law review articles or theory there. And I did feel like what I wanted to bring to life in the thought work world was very unique and that nobody else was doing it. Not cognitive thought work. There's lots of people doing that. And a lot of these ideas have been around for thousands of years. But combining it with feminist theory, doing kind of rigorous feminist mindset work, which is what I do, I didn't think anybody else was doing that. And so I felt like one of my personal values is to be of service to the world. And I felt like the way i could be of service in this job was bigger and more unique than the way i could be of service somewhere else and i thought that i would learn all these new things and i would ha- get to have this whole other experience i wanted to have so this is a you know on some level it's an advanced topic and something we work on you work with me after the basics but like what does it mean the reason i love this question is that most of us think we only want something cuz we think it's better than what we have or else why would we want it right? Why would we change something unless we think we'll be happier if we change it? And that thought process is so common, but it just shows how enmeshed you are in your current belief that external things make us feel a certain way. Because what you learn once you do the work is that you know you can be happy no matter what. And that doesn't mean happy all the time because life isn't just about positivity, right? But it means whatever the job is, whatever the marriage is, whatever the anything is, the external thing is not going to determine how you feel. And so then the question is just, do you want to experience something different? And it's kind of revolutionary to think that that's a good enough reason, especially for women who I think always think they have to justify why they want something. It's okay to want something just because it's different and you want to experience it. It's okay to be happily married and decide that you want to experience not being married or being single or being married to someone else. it's okay to be a happy professor and decide you want to experience being a life coach or vice versa just because you want to have a different experience and learn something new. So that's the answer to that. (laughs) All right. Next question. Someone asked, do niches matter? So what they mean by that, this is a life coach question, but I'm going to explain it because I think it'll be helpful for everybody. What they mean is doesn't matter if you have a specific niche for your business, like, you know, one of my colleagues coaches doctors who want to lose weight, and one of my colleagues coaches women who want to take a break from drinking, and one of my colleagues coaches oh women who have difficult relationships with their mothers or whatever, right? So that's a niche. It's like the group of people that you help. So here's the answer, yes and no. A niche is not magic. So a niche does not matter in the sense that there is no niche in the world that will, make you always feel happy and motivated, and make the first year and 100K of your coaching business easy. There's no niche that will do that, okay? So it doesn't matter in that sense. The experience of building a business is always going to be the same. It is always going to be something of a hustle. It is always going to be challenging. You're going to have to deal with a lot of your own thoughts and wanting to die. <laughs> and what happens is we we're in a niche and we're having that experience and so we fantasize that if we just had another niche, everything would be better. And one of the reasons I'm answering this question is that it's not just about a niche, right? People do this with partners, right? They think if I just had a partner, I'd be happy. Then they get a partner. They're not magically happy. And then they're like, well, if I just had this different partner, we do it with jobs, we do it with families, we do it with bodies, right? Anything. We're like, I'm not happy and this is my circumstance, my niche, my job, my body, my boss, my boyfriend, whatever. So I just need to change this. If I had this other one, then everything would be perfect. So a niche doesn't matter in that sense. There's no niche out there that's just going to make it easy to build your business from the ground up. On the other hand, a niche does matter in that if you don't have one, you're making it even harder on yourself, right? Trying to be a generalist life coach is very difficult because there's a lot of people out there with niches. I call it a niche. You could call it a niche, whatever. There's a lot of people out there who have a specific niche. And if somebody's looking for a coach, they're going to want to hire someone who has a niche specific to them, right? Like lawyers want to hire lawyers and doctors want to hire doctors and stay-at-home moms want to hire people who have been a stay-at-home mom if the problem has to do with being a stay-at-home mom. So they are important in the sense that It makes your marketing so much easier and it helps people know if they should hire you. And it makes all of your copy better, right? When you are talking generally, it's hard to have examples and it's all very vague, right? So if you're talking about like numbing in general, it's so general. But if you're talking about stay-at-home moms who numb by drinking a glass of wine or smoking a joint as soon as the kids go to bed every single night, now all of a sudden you have a really specific problem that people can relate to. And they feel like you've been where they are and you know what's going on with them. So niches are very important in that way. So I really stand by what I was taught early on, which was you pick a niche, you have to test it. You got to make sure, you know, you can find people who fit your niche. It should be some people that are, you know, easy to find that would be gathered somewhere that you can reach through some kind of media or whatever. That you pick a niche and then you commit to it for a year. Like Your niche is not there to make your life easy. Your niche is there for you to love it. And figure out how to serve it. So that is my answer to that. Okay. And somebody asked, "Did you go through?" (laughs) I like this question. Did you go through a robot phase when you learned the model and started coaching? So I don't know exactly what that means because there's two things I think it could mean, but I'm going to answer both because I think people experience both. And so one thing it could mean is that, as just a person, you can start to feel a little disconnected or unemotional that's how you think you're feeling that's like our thought about basically what happens is we stop being like emotionally volatile lunatics (laughs) and then our our brains are like this is disconnected you're like a robot now because you're not you know gleeful with validation one minute and weeping in the bathroom the next minute like our brains are like see that's being a robot But really, it's more like emotional sobriety. It's like not being on a roller coaster. It's like getting off a roller coaster and walking on flat ground. At first, it's not going to feel that dramatic. But over time, as you get used to it, you're going to notice like smaller inclines and declines and the flowers along the way and all of that comes back. So I do think there's almost like withdrawal that can go on where you've conditioned yourself to experience these huge swings in your emotions. You have no emotional resilience. And so you're up and down, up and down, up and down. And when you stop being that way, it can feel kind of weird. And you might feel a little disconnected from all the people around you who are like up and down and up and down and up and down all the time. But over time, you start to – it's like going – it's like not eating sugar for a month and then honey tastes really sweet, right? It's like there are natural kind of highs and lows that you begin to experience. You can experience more nuance and subtlety and smaller shifts. You don't feel like a robot. And my experience has really been on the other side of that is that like I never used to cry at movies or at the theater. Like I wasn't really moved by art or even like other people that much because of course I was just so in my own roller coaster. And now like I cry at TV shows. (laughs) Like I'm actually much more susceptible to like kind of empathetic to empathy or just to like pure emotion flowing through me but it always ends quickly. Like it's a very pure, clean process, it feels like. It's the opposite of being a robot. And then the other way this person could mean this question, which I'll answer briefly because it would be just for coaches, is when you learn how to coach from someone, yeah, you sound like them for a while. That's normal. Eventually, you just start getting your own way of thinking and talking about things and your own clients make you think and talk in different ways and you don't end up sounding like a robot forever. Okay. Let's do one or two more. Someone says, do you have any tips for how to practice new thoughts and getting them to stick? Okay, so here's my answer to this question, which I think is important. Thinking about getting your thoughts to stick is the wrong way to think about it. Because when something is sticky, you can just slap it on something and it stays there. Okay? So it has you predisposed – it seems like a little thing, this word choice, but it has you predisposed to thinking about your thoughts as though they should be like that. Like you should just have to like apply them a couple of times and then they'll stick. That's not how it works. That's not how you should think about your thoughts. You should think about your new thoughts in terms of thinking about like how can I carve a groove in this rock with a toothpick? (laughs) Like you have to go over it over and over again. Maybe a groove in a rock is a little intense, but like how can I carve a groove in like Cold butter with a toothpick. I don't know what the metaphor would be. Like, it's not impossible. It's totally doable, but it takes a lot of repetition to do that. So, it's not about getting them to stick, it's about making them a default habit. You're turning a thought into a habit, a brain habit, right? So, it's like if you're right handed trying to learn to write left handed, you wouldn't be like, what are some tips and tricks for making it stick that I can all of a sudden be left handed? No, you would be like, I have to practice writing with my left hand a lot, and then eventually it will become my default. It's not quite as hard as that, thankfully, but I don't think thinking of your thoughts as like how to get them to stick is a good idea because even that framing is setting you up to feel like you're entitled to your thoughts changing much too quickly. You have to practice repeating your thoughts until the habit switches over from the old thought to the new thought. There's no trick other than practice. I mean, we have a list in the clutch of like different ways to practice kind of like, you know, reminders or post-it notes or passwords or whatever, like different kind of things you can do to jog your memory, but there's no trick that gets around. It needs to be repetition. The answer to that. Okay. Let's do one more. Somebody says, how do you deal with a firm that feels like high school? Clicks, bullies, rumors, oh my. Okay. So high school is not a feeling. (laughs) right? That's a thought. You have the thought this firm feels like high school. Clicks, bullies, and rumors, none of those are circumstances. Those are not true objective things outside of you. Those are your thoughts about what's going on. So my guess is just from this question that this question answer has a kind of me versus them and kind of victim thought process going on, right? They're an emotional childhood. Like other people are clicky, other people are bullies. Other people are have rumors and I'm left out and I'm on the outside, right? How do I deal with this? And obviously, it's maybe a story this person's had since high school because it sounds like she's just carried that story over. So the question isn't how do you deal with a firm that feels like high school? The question is how do you work on your thoughts to understand that those are all optional thoughts about your firm, not true facts that you have to believe, right? This is a classic thought work issue. How do you become aware of and change your own thoughts about your job, about your firm, right? Rather than just believing everything you think and then trying to figure out how to quote unquote deal with all these negative things that you think are happening to you, right? So that's the kind of thing that you actually need to use thought work to really unpack and use the coaching model to unpack. That's the kind of thing that requires sort of sustained thought work. Okay? So think that's it for this week if I didn't answer your question I may get to it in a future one or as always I encourage you to come join the clutch so I can teach you how to coach and coach yourself you can get all your questions answered but more importantly you will learn how to answer your own questions and how to deal with all of your thoughts that you think are just true (laughs) which is the work of a human life all right my chickens I'll talk to you next week If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is my feminist coaching community for all things on Fuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying all these concepts I teach to your own life and learning how to do thought work to blow your own mind. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will change your life even more. It's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth, and it will change everything. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. Or you can just text your email address to 347-934-8861. If you text your email address to that number, we'll text you right back with a link to check out everything you need to know about the clutch. 347-934-8861. 8861. Or again, just go online to www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I cannot wait to see you there.